BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. Beeple has had a pretty good month. The artist, whose real name is Mike Winkleman, made history when Christie's Auction House sold his digital collage. The piece spanned 13 years of his daily artworks, or everydays, as he calls them. Online bidding started at $100. It sold for over $69 million. That's the third highest price earned by a living artist at auction, putting Beeple just behind Jeff Koons and David Hockney. And yes, he was just as shocked as everyone else. Going to Disney World! But what's captured everyone's attention isn't just the money, which was paid in cryptocurrency. It's what you get for the money, or rather, what you don't get. This isn't a framed painting that you hang in your living room. Instead, the piece is a non-fungible token, or NFT, a one-of-a-kind digital asset that's verified by blockchain. In other words, it's kind of like owning an encrypted JPEG. Crypto billionaires and blockchain nerds have been talking about NFTs for years. Now it's hitting the mainstream and Beeple is one of its most visible success stories. He might seem like an unlikely virtuoso. His recent everydays have the look of pulpy sci-fi. A turkey getting oral, a child holding Buzz Lightyear's bloodied head, a double-headed Clinton-Trump robot with milk shooting out of its breast. Then again, maybe he's exactly the right person to usher in this bizarro frontier of NFTs. Mike, welcome, or should I call you Beeple? You can just call me Mike. Good, you can thank just you. call me thank Mike. You. Beeple just, is weird. I That's know. Very weird. Call me Beeple. Explain. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare call me Mike. Don't you dare My call me Mike. My name from no. high school was Swishy Ishy, so let us not get into these things. So, um, <laughs> which makes a lot more sense. But tell, explain Beeple. Yeah, it's it's like a fuzzy, like Ewok looking thing. I gets over there. Okay. I can't reach it. It's a it's a like toy from the eighties mm-hmm. that kind of like beeps and makes a sound. Um, they're not that popular. If you look at just Google Beeple toy and you can see what they look like. Again, this is something I named myself like twenty years ago. And why? And so I did not expect to be answering this question twenty years later. Right, because is an artist moment of artistic. Reverie or what? Well, it's more so like when you cover its eyes, it beeps. And so it like when you change the light, it beeps. And so there's this sort of interplay between light and sound. And the the first work that I did looks nothing like the work you see now. And it was really very like abstract audio visual, like tightly synced audio and video. So that's why I did it. Sort of that that interplay between light and sound. I see. So you happen to like this toy. Was it who gave it to you? So our family actually gave it to my grandma. And then, and this wasn't a toy I had like growing up. Right. We gave it to her when I was like 10 or so. And then somehow I just took it back. Right. Like five years later, 10 years later. Um, and that was that. It was yeah, a good thing it wasn't was... light bright or something like that. That would have been a different <laughs> name for you. Um, so Mike Winkleman, I'm going to call you Mike. Thank you very much. For, I appreciate it. So way before this auction, you were creating digital art and showcasing it in places like Instagram and Twitter. That's where you started sharing every days. Um, this is a project you started, I think it was May 2007, where you created and post new digital artwork every day. 
Um, talk about this effort and, and why you wanted to do this. Yeah. So it, when I started this out, the, the first one was May 1st, 2007. I wanted to get better at drawing. And I saw an, an illustrator out of the UK named Tom Judd, who did like a sketch a day in his like sketchbook. Um, and he did it for like about a year. And like, I think like, I thought that was a cool way to sort of like, you know, incrementally improve. And so I started doing a drawing every day um, and like posting it online. Again, this was just on my website. Literally nobody was seeing it besides my mom and like three friends. Um and so I did that for like a year. And uh, if you look at the Christie's piece, actually, you can see all of those drawings in the upper left-hand corner. They're all sort of like there. And the lower right-hand corner is the last of the like 5,000th day. Um, and so after a year, I learned a lot. It had pushed me to sort of like try a bunch of new techniques. And so after that, I was like, well, what if I use that same thing to teach myself a 3D program, which I didn't know. And when I say a 3D program... It's similar to what they make like Pixar movies out of. Yeah, explain the art, explain the software you work. Yeah, so the the software basically has it's it's like a three D world where you can place any sort of objects or build any sort of objects, and then you have lights, virtual lights that you place and and place them around the people, and then you have a virtual camera and you basically shoot a picture of the the people. The way I work now is really almost like I have a huge giant collection of three D models. There's marketplaces where you can buy. There's thousands upon thousands. You type in bike, here's, you know, 800 bikes. Which bike do you want? And so you can just buy these models and then you can like use them and stuff. And so I can with one click pull those into the scene and then I can sort of pose them, put them wherever I want, scale them up, scale them down. It's almost like playing with like toys. I've got the biggest, best toy collection. I can break them apart. And put, you know, a new head on, a new body on, mm-hmm. new arms on, whatever. And then sort of set up these scenes and take a picture of it. I don't want to compare it to clip art, but it, it's doing a collage online, correct? Of some, but in a 3D format. Yeah, it's like that. Because again, I'm taking these assets that, you know, I have not built and sort of putting them together in, in sort of a bunch of different ways. And by the way, the one you dropped last night was something else, the Elon. <laughs> non-fungible Elon. Describe the picture for people. It's a picture of an like super jacked Elon uh, holding up a trophy, riding one of those. And what are the dogs? Sheep, the, the Dodge dog. Um, and then there's a bunch of people sort of like looking at it like, and, and there's like piles of money around him, Dodge coins or whatever. Um, Which is what his, his new favorite thing is just to screw with people. But in, in the case of non-fungible Elon, what was the prompt for that? So the prompt was Elon tweeted um, this, I am got this NFT and I'm going to sell it. And it said, you know, it was this like vanity trophy thing, making fun of, of NFTs. Yeah. And so then I tweeted at him that I would buy it for $69 million. And then he, <laughs> he replied that he would accept Dogecoin. Um, and so that's having what it was, fun just, with Elon on the Twitter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's what it was just kind of this stupid, like playing off of him. Like, uh, well, I didn't need to see that. That's all I have to say. You start watching this stuff. Now you'll see that that's actually probably one of the more like, wow, that was the, you'll, you'll look back on that in three weeks and you'll be like, wow, that was actually pretty nice. That was pretty nice and good. Yeah. I think you had me at the Turkey having sex with the Turkey. That's like that one. <laughs> <laughs> really spoke to me in so many it's ways. It's so funny because like really just in the last year or two that I started sort of going down this weird sort of rabbit hole of 
just super bizarre techno boob thing milking things you know it's it's just gotten weird actually quite recently all right so what has changed what what has changed why did you go down that rabbit hole of boob <laughs> why would you do that <laughs> yeah, why, why would, would you, you do that down? to yourself and your family yeah. um it's just i don't know like i just started making the pictures that i i really wanted to see i think and then i think those pictures are closer to like my personality and it's just kind of it's not something where I'm like super conscious, like I'm going to go down this this rabbit hole. It's more just like it appeals to you each day. Yeah, it's just each day. What is the picture I'm most excited about making? And a lot of times now it's pretty weird. What got you into doing the digital art versus, you know, people have done this with art with people use pieces they find all over the place. Jeff Koons comes to mind. Uh, why did you get into this? Were you an art, a visual artist before or what happened that moved you to this area? Sure. So I went to school for computer science, actually, and I wanted to do, you know, program video games. And sort of halfway through the degree, I realized I was spending all my time just making weird art things. And and so I kind of slogged through the degree, finished it and got a job doing web design. And, and it, I was always very interested in computers and sort of very interested in art. And so it, it always, it, you know, it kind of made sense to to sort of bring the two together. And it was... Did you take art classes, the more traditional no. drawing or, or things like that? I took two art classes in high school. There was just a wonderful book that has all the beautiful digital art that's been done since the early, early computer days. It's Some of it's amazing. And it was, it was much less thought of as art. Um, talk a little bit about that, why you think that is. I don't know. It's honestly, to me, it seems uh, when I heard people and people, have, you know, over the last three weeks, the tradition, people from the traditional world have, have sort of said that, oh, this is an art. Yeah. It's like, OK, it literally has all of the same things as any other painting, except it's on a digital canvas. Like, to me, that just seems like the most silly argument, like that this is not art. It's like because you can't touch it necessarily because you can't touch it. It's kind of like, OK, but that's the thing. You can touch it like that. Uh, my art has to be sort of like manifest like you ha you're going to see it in the real world. Like we live in the real world. We don't live in like we're not jacked into the Matrix yet. Allegedly. So like you're going to see it somehow. Yeah. And so you're either going to see it on a computer screen, or you're going to see it on a phone screen. And so that's where I've been like really sort of, you know, excited about figuring out ways to bring these into the physical world in interesting ways. So with the last drop I did before this, I had these digital, uh, you know, video frame, mm -hmm. basically screens. And so that's going to be something I'm going to keep pushing on. So so one of, the, the reaction has been fascinating. Let me I want to get to that in a second. Um, so were, were you able to monetize your art when you were doing this or uh, when you were doing the 5000 days? So not directly. But what it did do is it made me uh, a very popular designer. And so I was doing, you know, really good client work, you know, mm -hmm. the, some of the best client work. I you was, did SpaceX, speaking of which. I did. So yeah, I did some concepts for SpaceX, um, you know, Apple, Nike, blah, Louis Vuitton used a bunch of the everydays on the on the spring collection a couple mm -hmm. years ago, the last couple Super Bowls, tons and tons of concert visuals. Um, but obviously, you know, I wasn't making like millions of dollars a year, or tens of millions now. Right. But you were doing designs all over the place. Yeah, I was doing designs. And it was sort of like, again, as a digital artist, that was it. 
Like there was no way to sort of like it wasn't viewed as art. There was no way to collect it. Right. And and that's where the NFTs came in. So the way I came to that was just in October of last year. People kept hitting me up because, again, I'm a very popular designer. You got to look at this NFT thing. You got to look at this NFT thing. And when I did, it was immediately just like, oh, my God, this is like insane. Like people are paying one. I didn't even think you could sell this stuff. Mm-hmm. And two, people are paying like insane amounts for it that it was just like. Um, and so you decided to start doing it like this was a way to sell your work, essentially. I mean, I said to someone, do you own the Mona Lisa? Uh, they were like, they were like, no. And I said, well, you can see it all the time and you can actually physically see it. You see pictures of it. You can put it on your computer screen. You don't own it, but someone does and they're getting value from it. So it's whatever people want to put the value of something in. Very simply. So a non-fungible token is really just at its core, a proof of ownership. It's just proving you own something and it can be attached to anything. It sort of points to a, a, a digital file and says, this is the thing you own. Copyright in some way. Well, it's not copyright. I, I think it's more somewhat similar to like a master recording of something that it's sort of like, okay, a bunch of people have the MP3 mm-hmm. and everybody can listen to it. Everybody's hearing the exact same thing, but one person owns the master recording of it. And that person can prove, okay, I own it. And if you have a copy of the MP3, you don't think you own it. You're not going to convince anybody you own it just because you have access to <laughs> right. it. And that's the thing that I think is is hard for people to wrap their head around. It's a, it's a bit of a paradigm shift because we're used to just having all these sort of, um, you know, digital copies. And the only way that you can sort of prove or sort of exert ownership on the Internet is by restricting access, blocking through a paywall, blocking through this or that. But that's not what this is. It's really just about proving ownership. And just like you said, with the Mona Lisa, the more something is widely shared, the more popular it becomes, the more valuable it will become. Mm -hmm. When you go to the Louvre and take a picture of the Mona Lisa and share it on the Internet, it's not like, whoa, wow, I just devalued the Mona Lisa because I shared this picture of it. Of course not. Like, that's just ridiculous. So this idea that sort of the only way something has value if you're able to restrict access to it, I think is just like completely like the opposite. Mm -hmm. Because you look at a painting, somebody buys a painting, they go lock it away in their house. You never see that again. So I think that's where this is a that's a huge, huge advantage of of this digital art over, you know, traditional art. And I think right now you're seeing it with digital art. You're seeing it with, you know, NBA Top Shot with collectibles. Mm -hmm. You're seeing it with a few other things. But I really feel like it's such a blank slate technology that you are going to see this with everything. You go buy a car, they give you an NFT. It's tied to the car. It's tied to some VIN number on the car, whatever you buy a house. Okay, here's the NFT for the house. It's going to be for like everything because again, it's just proving ownership. And so make anything that you want to prove ownership of and tie the the physical to the digital. I believe you will use this thing. A diploma. Okay, here's your diploma. Here's NFT proves you have the diploma and it's tied to you and it's one to one and nobody can copy it. And it's just a very simple way to do this. And obviously we need systems set up to do this, but I think it is such a, at its core, the technology is such a blank slate. I really think it's like a web page. Well, what can a web page be? A web page can be anything. That's right. When the internet started, for those who weren't around, I don't know how old you are. Uh, 39. Uh, well, then I'm much older than you. When it started, a lot of people were like, what is the internet? And I said, everything. Like, who knows? We're still figuring it out. Yeah. But it also is linked very closely to the cryptocurrency, the idea of, around cryptocurrency. It is right now, but it's not really. It is. Blockchain is different than cryptocurrency, which I think people. It is very different. And I think it's going to decouple from that because, again, it's blockchain 
is the technology to prove this. But blockchain in itself actually doesn't have anything to do with cryptocurrency. Like this, this I believe will have nothing to do with currency, like when it's fully realized. It's just literally a concept for how do you prove ownership of something? That's it. All right. So tell me exactly what happens when you decide to sell some pieces. You, you as Beeple, the artist, decide to sell. You reach out to a platform like Nifty Gateway. There's a lot of, there's, I think it's uh, super rare. Super rare. Reminds me of sneakers. I have teenagers, so I have the <laughs> sneaker thing in my head. But explain what you do, explain exactly the process. So basically, there's websites where you can sort of give them your artwork and they'll mint it. And they basically sort of just put it on the blockchain. When you sort of make these into uh, an NFT, you tokenize it. It's called tokenizing minting. Um, And you basically just sort of add it to the blockchain. Everybody can see that token. It's sort of part of the, the, you know, kind of like putting it on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, uh, again, Nifty can do it. Or there's also sites where, you know, you could go on Rarible and immediately take a picture, a sound, a movie, whatever, and immediately sort of do that. And so there's anybody can do this. Just making an NFT does not give it any value. Just like just making a website does not give it any value. Sort of like it has value if people want it or it has some, you know, utility. The difference between my website and Google, for example. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of these things where, yeah, it's got to like, again, the the NFT part of it doesn't just inherently give it value. And that's where I think there there is a lot of speculation right now that, again, like the very early Internet, people are super jacked on this and they're really, you know, it's getting a a bit wacky with some stuff. And and so that's where I think people need to be careful and sort of recognize. Yeah, just like buying domain names, if you remember, like whether it was food.com or hello.com or... And there was a bunch of crap. There was a big bubble and and the bubble burst. And I honestly think that will happen with this. But when the bubble burst on the internet, it didn't wipe out the internet. Mm -hmm. It just wiped out the crap. It just wiped out the stuff where it was like, okay, pets.com, yeah, Mm, that was probably never a good idea. Like, okay, yeah, I guess we were- Although, hello, Chewy, it was a good idea. It was a bad execution of a good idea. It's one of these things, though. I I think it's going to be the same thing. There's going to be timing. There's going to be stuff where it's just sort of like, you know, it it just, we got a little carried away here. We got a little crazy and and we assigned some, you know, maybe exorbitant values to some of this stuff. And and so I I think the technology, though, is simple and strong enough that it's going to outlast that bubble and sort of still be something that is, is very useful beyond that. Okay. So just a few months ago, your highest selling piece, Crossroads, was sold for a little over $66,000. Speaking of that, this video that changed based on the results of the presidential election. Now one of your artworks is worth over a thousand times that, $69 million. Again, this was bought and sold with the cryptocurrency Ether via the platform Ethereum. So how do you explain the price of your work skyrocketing then? Is it just the excitement around it? I would say, yeah, it's just the excitement around it, to be quite honest. I think the the prices of everything is is definitely like going up. The Crossroads piece, I think, you know, obviously dealt with the election and it was a piece that I made specifically for that. I think the Christie's piece, I mean, it, it to me is just a way more important piece. It's sort of taking the first 5,000 days, the first 13 years of this project right. um, and sort of putting into one like, okay, here's, you know, a JPEG that literally has 13 years of work in it. And so that's, I, I think it does deserve to be worth more than the other piece. You know, $69 million, I, I'm not sure about that. Okay, so walk me through how this $69 million auction at Christie's came to be. How did your conversation with them start? They're obviously looking at this space, the digital art arena, and been very slow to it, actually. So tell us how, how that happened. 
Yeah, so that was actually sort of um, Maker's Place, which is similar to, to Nifty Gateway or any of these other platforms. It's basically just a, a marketplace where you can buy and sell these things. A digital gallery. A digital gallery, yep. And, and it's sort of, you know, artists go to this gallery and sort of upload their work. They sell it, um, and, and it's sort of like eBay or anything like that. So they go to Christie's. So they went to Christie's and sort of, you know, said, you know, I, I think you should do this. And and Christie said, okay, who should we do it with? Earlier, you know, in December, I had had like a, a $3.5 million drop, which at the time, like, shattered all of the records. And was, oh, my God, $3.5 million. That was, you know, obviously seemed very, very crazy, you know, in December. So they reached out to me. It was like instantly like, of course, yes, I would love to do this. Mm -hmm. And so first I wanted to auction the 5,000th day, the last day, because I thought, well, that's the most sort of like valuable thing. But if you look at that picture, it's quite gross and weird. What is the 5,000th day? So it's got like a little kid like drawing a picture and he's actually drawing the first day. And behind him is like a big, like fat Buzz Lightyear with like milk leaking out of his nipples and like a giant like... Michael Jackson baby womb thing and like uh, just a bunch of like themes and stuff that I've touched on over the last like couple years. You had a bad meal the night before. <laughs> but like if you don't know of all that stuff, it's, yeah. like a, it's basically a bunch of inside jokes. It makes no sense to you. You'll just be like, OK, this is a weird picture. I don't know what the hell this is. <laughs> like you're not going to get it at all. Yeah. What is wrong with artists these days? You're not. And you're not going to understand the scope of the project with the 5000 a day. OK, I don't know what that means. 5000 what? Like you're not going to understand. Right. And so I was always like, okay, if they say no to that, I'm going to do the all, all 5,000. So luckily that's what we did and, and I think was a way, way better choice. How did you feel working with them? These are people used to selling, you know, big Picassos or whatever. Was it, was it like dealing with a, I'm trying to think of me dealing with a newspaper publisher back in the day when I kept saying blog to them. Um, so that's the thing. I don't know anything about their world. And they don't know anything about my world. So it was definitely, there was some sort of, you know, coming together there. But they were super great to work with, to be quite honest. Like, they were very, um, like, they got it. And, and at first, I didn't really have sort of a, because again, I don't know the traditional art world. I didn't realize how much sort of, like, blowback there was going to be. Yeah. I thought people would just be like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, this is like a new thing, like this or that. And, and you know, prior to the launch, it was just like I talked to Noah Davis, the, the specialist at Christie's, and he was like, no, 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 this is going to like people are going to be really pissed. People are going to be super, super pissed because this is like messing up everything they're like. Yeah, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. What did you think it was going to sell for? I didn't know. People were throwing, because people kept throwing out bigger and bigger numbers. Like when this first started, when Christie's before, it was like, oh man, I think this could go for a million dollars. Because at the beginning of 2021, it was like no NFT had sold for a million dollars. It's like, oh, one's going to, you know, sell for a million dollars. Like it's going to be the first one that sells for a million dollars. Oh my God. Like that's crazy. And then as time went on over the course of just this month, it kept like, and then people were like, oh, you know, it's going to be like one to three. And then, you know, somebody threw out five and it was like, oh, my God, five. What are you talking right. about? A few days into the auction, you laughed when one of your interview hosts floated $50 million. You laughed. Yeah, I definitely sort of like laughed at 50 because it's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is just like, yeah, we've gotten a bit a bit crazy with it. I, I think it's it's. What was your reaction of the final figure, the 69 million? Well, you could see it because there was literally two film crews shooting me and I'm on a clubhouse with like a thousand people. Yeah. 
And, and so I'm like literally like sitting there and all my family and that is around and we're watching it on the TV and, and people started saying there was, there was a big jump from 25 to 50 and, and our screen didn't refresh. And so I thought they were kidding. Mm-hmm. And then when it refreshed to 50, it was just like, oh my God. Like it just like got up and like walked away immediately. It was just like insane. The buyer who is Medicovan. Uh, Medicovan, yep. So he, he paid for it in Ethereum. He bought it in, in Ethereum. And so this is the first time that Christie's has accepted Ethereum. And I can assure you it will not be the last time because within about 36 hours of the close of the auction, I was fully paid. The artwork was fully delivered. Are you keeping all your crypto from your sale or did you cash to common, you know, dollars? Yeah, it's mostly in cash right now already. I already moved most of it. So you're not speculating in Bitcoin, too, at the same time, or Ethereum? I'm more bullish on crypto, to be honest. Again, I was never, I'm not some freaking Bitcoin bro. I'm I'm more bullish, though, I will say, if crypto can survive the pandemic and come out stronger, it's probably going to be around for a second. Probably not going anywhere. When you talk about this idea of a bubble, do you think the pandemic has accelerated that? Because everyone's online now. Everything's been accelerated, hasn't it? Absolutely. I think this is something that was inevitable. And I think this sort of just using this technology to prove ownership is inevitable. But I absolutely think the the pandemic accelerated it. That being said, though, I don't think once the pandemic is done and all the restrictions are lifted that this is going to go away. I actually think there's a ton of use cases for this that we've been now hampered by the pandemic and haven't been able to sort of like prove out. I think you could do a bunch of things with concert tickets, with music and sort of access with that. I think that that NFTs could be super useful for. Which the Kings of Leon have done. Kings of Leon have done. But again, they can't have shows yet. And so people can't sort of like sell NFTs and attach it to like, oh, if you buy this NFT, you're going to be in the front row of the show two weeks from now. Like we haven't had been able to like really do that. And so I think there's a ton of use cases around sort of gathering and events and stuff like that, that that you're going to see sort of be able to play out soon. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Elon Musk, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Mike Winkleman after the break. Over the last 25 years, the world has witnessed incredible progress from dial-up modems to 5G connectivity, from massive PC towers to AI-enabled microchips. Innovators are rethinking possibilities every day. Through it all, Invesco's QQQ ETF has provided investors access to the world of innovation. Be a part of the next 25 years of new ideas by supporting the fund that gives you access to innovative companies. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show... It's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we've teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. 
In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good, but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. Let's talk about the finances. So you've seen the price surge, not just at Christie's, but your other art has surged. Um, the works across your first NFT drop have been resold for a lot more money. Crossroad flipped for $6.6 million, uh, which makes it the second highest valued crypto art sale. Um, do you get a share in that upside? It, when it starts to resell, or is that that? It's out of your hands. No. So built into the smart contract, you can sort of build whatever you want. You can build any rule. Um, and so sort of the standard right now is 10%, that it's sort of artists get 10% royalty on these things. To be honest, there's sort of, there's ways to break that. The royalties don't work across all the platforms. Mm-hmm. So there, the, I take that piece of it as a little bit of an asterisk because there, there's certain ways around it that I don't think they're ever going to get around it. What I want to get to is that you get some of the money. And a lot of people have been I've been talking to saying that artists say a, a very expensive painting sells for one hundred and ten million dollars, like happened a few years ago. Um, the families, of these artists don't get collect a piece. They get nothing. They get nothing. No, they get absolutely nothing. The original sale, you get 90 percent. Original sale, you get 90 percent. The secondary sale, you get 10 percent. And so when that the piece initially sold for sixty six thousand. So I got 90 percent of that. Then it resold for six point six million, and so I got six hundred thousand. So I literally got ten times more because it resold for so much, you know, than on the initial sale. So I think I would like to see, even though technically that might not be feasible to sort of enforce in all scenarios, I would love to see that become a just a norm, just like a standard practice. Uh, you know, so the creator constantly is benefiting. Creator constantly is able to benefit from it because, again, these are, you know, there's a term starving artist for a reason. So speaking of buyers, let's discuss your collection that went for $3.5 million. That was your second NFT drop, and it happened in December. The buyer was someone who goes by Metacoven. Yep. He owns Metapurse, which is a cryptocurrency effort. Well, it's a fund. He kind of has like a sort of like big collection of NFTs. What he did is quite interesting, actually, and it's a whole other like huge rabbit hole. Um, So... When I did that drop, there was 21 different sort of like one of one single edition right. pieces. And so he got 20 of them. This other uh, Tim King, yep, got the last one, the the final one, because he sort of smashed on a big number kind of on top of them. But what he did with my 20 is he's bought all 20 for a very specific reason. And he took those and he built sort of museums for them in some virtual lands because there's virtual lands similar to like Second Life where mm-hmm. people can buy, you know, NFT land that costs, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and, and build stuff on it. Right. And just so you Second Life for people are, are virtual universes. Yeah, it's kind of like a video game, but it's like sort of, you know, kind of you can do anything or do like weird stuff in it or whatever. Minecraft. Yeah, kind of like Minecraft. So there's a bunch of virtual worlds like that. So he built museums for this artwork in those things. And then he bundled all this together. He bundled the museums, the land that the museums are on, and 20 of my works. And then he locked them in a smart contract and fractionalized it, spit out 10 million shares. And then he sold those shares. 
Mm-hmm. And at first I was quite against it, to be quite honest. It was sort of like, because I just, I didn't like it. It was just like, what are you doing? Like, I didn't, this is not how I intended this to be. I can be quite honest. I intended a bunch of collectors to have these. And I thought we were going to jump on a Zoom call and shoot the shit, have a beer, open the physicals and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you're not doing any of that. And, and then it was kind of like, okay, well, he's going to do it. And, and so it's like, you know, uh, it would be good if it was successful. It's like, you know, I would like to see his his artwork go up in value. That's good for me. It's good for him, whatever. So he did that and, and sort of, and he started it at 36 cents. These are B20 tokens. B20 tokens. And so this is, it's more like a currency that you can just buy. And it's sort of backed by these things. Again, they're locked into the smart contract. Even he can't get them up. The art itself. The art itself. These NFTs are in the smart contract. Right. And so that B20 started at 36 cents and it is now at 12 bucks right now. Okay. But it was at, at you know. It went up and down. Yeah. It's been up and down. But at one point it was at like, you know, 25 bucks or something like that. So that's $250 million. And do you own a piece of this? So he gave me 2%. 2%. And there's probably at least a decent chance that he will do it with this piece that he just paid $70 million for. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of creation of value like that? Um, I honestly think, if, and again, at first I was kind of like, I did not get in. It was like, this seems so complicated. Mm-hmm. And where it's like, okay, I'm just trying to like introduce these NFTs to people. Now here, let's take it another step further for abstraction. And like now it's even further away from the actual artwork and very much into a financial instrument that's like. Yes, has as much art. It's a bit further. It, it's, yeah. it's We're getting further from the art here. Like, so I'm kind of like, okay, well, you, you can sell that. And if you can sell it to your crypto people, like you go for that, but I'm not going to go to. So you did not know in advance of these plans to do this? Before he bought the thing? Absolutely not. I didn't even know that was possible because again, I'm not like somebody who's been into crypto forever. Like I just right. came to this space in October trying to wrap my head around this. And, and what that is, is actually closer to called like DeFi, decentralized finance. Yes. Which is a whole other sort of- It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. You'd think NFTs are complicated. Like, So do you think there was any conflict of interest here that you own something that then creates more value and goes on? I personally don't because it's sort of like, one, I didn't can't control who bought the uh, final auction piece. It's sort of like, I didn't like sell it to him. It was sort of like, he just won it and he could have not won it. And so, and it's sort of like, I don't personally see how like him giving me 2% of this thing, like I have not really honestly done anything to sort of promote that thing. Like, you know, it's kind of honestly a lot of out of my hands, but I do think people being like, oh, it's a con- or this Ponzi scheme or some weird thing. It's kind of like, okay, you just don't understand this. It's just fractionalizing art. Like it's, it's, I don't, thinking there's some weird ulterior motives here. And this it happens to be art that's easier to fractionalize too. Yeah, it just happens to be art that's very easy to fractionalize. Do you know his identity, Metacoven's identity? Um, I don't know exactly who he is. I, I've talked to him on, on sort of Skype a few times. I don't honestly know that much about him at all. One guess is Vignesh Sundaresan. That's what I, I think his name is. I don't, I don't know his like background or anything like that. But you've spoken to him. I've spoken to him. Yeah, I've spoken to him. And he seems like a nice guy. But again, I, I've spoken to him a few times on Zoom. So one of the things, this huge sale was a proof of concept for Ethereum, for NFTs. He made his purchase with Ethereum. First time Christie's has taken a payment. So are you worried about possibly being the second level of a pyramid scheme? Um, You know, it could be. It's definitely something. I don't think it's a pyramid scheme because I think it's really just sort of buying into ownership of artwork. And it's sort of that's all it is. It's kind of like, if you think that artwork's going to be more valuable in the long term, 
well, then buy it. If you don't, don't buy it. Right. Like, that, that's it. You're, you're, it's definitely, it is extremely speculative. And the entire NFT market is extremely speculative right now. Like, this is for people who are looking to take some risks. Because a lot of this stuff will absolutely go to zero. If you just look at art historically, blue chip stuff like does pretty well over time. But like most of it goes to zero. Like that's just how it is. Um, and, and I believe NFTs will be no different. And I believe it's absolutely already in a irrational exuberance bubble that is is um, we're there. We're there. Okay. One of the things you said was this isn't a meme asset, but do you agree that anti-establishment values are driving up the value of this art? A lot of people have told me it's just like GameStop, the young people, millennials pushing into this next world. Yeah, I think there is going to be some of that, to be quite honest. The storming of the gates idea. I think there is, to be quite honest. I think you look at, and that's where I look at NFTs as an investment opportunity broadly that I think might not be going away. Because I think you look at, um, we've gotten used to over the last hundred years, sort of equities being the the sort of predominant asset class that people, you grow up, you get a little extra money, then you choose a corporation to give that money to. Well, kids don't like corporations. Kids hate corporations. And so this idea that they're just automatically going to keep doing that, if there's alternatives available, I don't know that I I would assume that they're just going to keep doing that. And with NFTs, it's a store of value and an alternate asset class that I think could appeal to them a lot more because there are less rules around it. You do have more of ownership of it. And that's something that I think people are really yearning for online is having some sense of ownership over their sort of digital self. You look at Google, you look at Facebook, you don't own that data. You give them that data, then they own it and they do whatever the hell they want with it. But then, you know, let me push back. Do you think it's fair when the entire auction was really just a bidding war between 30 rich millennials, essentially? And the same thing with GameStop. A lot of people who made the money are rich people who got into it and then sort of said, keep pushing to the average citizen and then got out the minute they needed to. Oh, sure. I think it's one of these things where do I think NFTs are going to just magically democratize and like, no, I don't think that. I think it's like the Internet. Did the Internet just magically democratize everything? Eh, It democratized some things, but it like if you had a bunch of money still, you probably still have a bunch of money. Like it didn't just level the playing field for everybody. And that's what NFTs are going to be. Again, they're a blank slate. Rich people will be able to use them to make more money and, and, you know, it will be hard for everybody else to sort of be able to overcome that. So it's a technology. I don't do not view this technology as some, you know, just magic utopia making thing that just, oh, here it is. And everybody gets to collateralize everything. they Yeah, this is going to be again, it's it's a, a tool that is such a blank slate. Both sides will get it. And when everybody gets this advantage, then probably nothing will change in terms of the like power dynamics. So there will be a Google of this. There will be a Google of this. Well, eventually, quite honestly, I believe Instagram will just input this. It will just become part of Instagram. That is where I see it ending. Meaning? Explain that. It will be like, share, comment, buy. And you just, their buy button's right there. You buy that post. And you can see, oh, that's the person who owns that post. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to say, oh, okay, I want 10 people to own this post. Or I want one person to own this post. And you'll be able to have an auction on the post. You'll be able to do this or that. It'll just be built right into Instagram. And then they'll just own it. Um, I want to talk about your art itself, because one of the things you talked about is you got a lot of criticism of the art itself and, and art reflects culture. What do you think the culture of your art reflects? The thing I'm trying to reflect is that 
there are some very weird things happening Mm -hmm. with technology, some very unintended consequences. And I believe that is only going to accelerate. I think Donald Trump was a very weird, unintended consequence of technology that we did not see. Right. Um, We thought, oh, we'll connect everybody. This will be great. Everybody can share whatever information they have. And then it was like, oh, and we didn't see that. Right. You had Donald Trump as a dominatrix. You had uh, a joint Clinton-Trump robot lactating. (laughs) He's he's had a lot of adventures. He's had a lot of adventures with me. Um, We've been through some stuff. Why do you, this this is what you're depicting, the the sort of deleterious effects of technology. I think it's something that's going to keep happening. I think uh, technology is progressing faster. I honestly think me selling this thing for $69 million is actually kind of a perfect example of that. Right. That this is like weird things are going to keep happening and they're going to happen more and more because technology, we're like, it just keeps going faster and faster and faster. And there's going to be more weird unintended consequences because we can't keep up with these things. And and then you have technologies coming together in weird ways that it's like, oh, crap. OK, when you combine that with this, now you can 3D print a gun. Uh, oh, crap. When you like, you know, this or that, like this explodes. Oh, crap. When people can organize on, you know, uh, these Reddit channels, they can smash the price of a GameStop stock. There's going to be more and more, I think, weird things that we didn't see coming So to me, it's sort of interesting to take those things and like, okay, well, what if these weird things, we play them out 50 years, 80 years, then what's going to happen? What does that look like? And it's honestly always done with like a a sense of humor and just like, you know, very tongue in cheek. Sure. Talk to me about this art critics, because one of the, in the Times, actually, there's quite an interesting piece. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One called your digital collage. What does the Fox say of art sales? He also wrote, what distinguishes people's digital imagery from other non-establishment art, and he put it in quotes, is the violent erasure of human values inherent in the pictures and how happy his crypto fans are to see them go. He was talking about your humans being desiccated and other things. I'm just curious, you're a living artist, so what was your reaction? To me, it's sort of like everybody has their own opinion. I totally realize this is not for everybody. And like, I'm not trying to make art that every single person likes. And I totally get that it's going to like push some people's buttons and a lot of the stuff you could definitely take as being very offensive. But they've done that with art forever, right? Yeah, I, I think it's one of these things where it, it's that it, I totally get that. So if people don't like it, that's okay. It's not for everybody. I suspect it's the price combined with the art. And I'm sure that's a lot. I think it's very, when something sells for a huge amount, like, you know, and I've heard that read this now with Cause and, you know, Jeff Koons and people are not, not everybody's super fans of them either. So I think anytime there's a bunch of money, there's, there's going to be people who are like, ah, I wouldn't mind taking this guy down a bit. I wouldn't mind taking him down a bit, which is fine. That's fine. All right. So the big critique of you and other NFT artists, along with cryptocurrency, is the environmental footprint of your art. Mining cryptocurrency and blockchain transactions consume a tremendous amount of energy. When you yourself use a lot of energy in, in rendering these. A hundred percent. Yes. That, and that's one thing where it's like, wait a second, guys. What do you think this Pixar movie just magically came out of nowhere? You just hit render and it just kind of Everything dipped. you do, using Netflix, using email. All of these things. I think in this case, because there's a lot of money involved, now suddenly we're very concerned about the you know ecologic footprint. But rightfully so. It is something that needs to be fixed. I believe it will be fixed quite quite quickly. In the meantime, I'm offsetting by like a factor of 10. It's it's not perfect. It's definitely not It's mitigation. Perfect. It's mitigation. But I think this problem, I think, will get fixed quickly because, again, there's nobody 
Like nobody wins. There's no entrenched player here who benefits from this versus like the oil and gas. Like they don't want, it's kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Screwing with our thing here. There's a lot of pushback. With here, all the tech companies, like they win if this gets easier and simpler to compute. So do you feel that people, that artists yourselves, I mean, I know a lot of you weren't aware of them necessarily, but are artists banding together? Because it's not a good look. A hundred percent. Yes, there's actually a drop that I'm a part of with the Open Earth Foundation that is, you know, going to raise a bunch of awareness. I I think, uh, one, I don't think people understand how much the offsets, like how they're very affordable. Um, And that in the meantime, while we sort of, you know, fix, work to fix this, that's a viable alternative that's that's quite, you know, affordable. But I think in general, artists just compared to the rest of, I don't want to throw too much, to get too much hate mail here, the sort of rest of the tech bro sort of crypto broader thing. Because again, this is a crypto in general. This is not just NFTs. This is, you know, all of crypto has shares this exact thing. This is the mining of crypto is energy use. The usage is high. Yes. But I think artists are definitely the people who are going to, uh, you know, sort of, I think, lead the charge in trying to, like, make this better. (laughs) Just because they are people who are, you know, more socially minded. And I think, you know. Okay. But is it a world just for the Banksies and the Beeples? Do you think any digital artist can make a living with NFTs one day? Absolutely not. No, it will still be very hard. It's going to be, again, it's a blank can. It's just a new type of canvas. Just picture that we had cloth canvases and we have, now we have digital canvases. And so it will still be very, very hard to make a living as a digital, like artist like this. Nothing has changed in terms of that. It will be just as hard as it was before. And things will have value and other things will. Things will have value and a bunch of things will not have value. So this, again, it's, that's where People really need to get that just because something becomes an NFT does not magically give it more value. Do you have any more plans for drops or auctions in the near future? Yeah. So right now I'm working on the spring collection and, uh, you know, sort of moving forward, I'm going to do like a spring and fall collection is sort of the like big things. But I'm really focused on sort of, you know, reinvesting this money and making like bigger and, and better art. Honestly, the money piece of this does not sort of bother me because I look at myself as like a tech company almost that it's sort of like I'm using technology and art to make this. And so when somebody pays a huge amount of money, I look at that as an investment. And I look at it as like, okay, you're investing in me, you're investing in my art, and I'm going to want to get you a return on that. And so I I know I made the art. I made the art because I love making art. And I started making this stuff 13 years ago, long before any of this crap. And if this stuff all went away tomorrow, I would keep doing it because that's what I love to do. And that's what I'm going to keep doing, period. Is it just you making it now? Just just you. You don't have, you're not like a, like. No, no, I've hired people now. And like, we're, we're really sort of pushing in the like physical space because I really want to make like these physicals, these objects, like, you know, super, super cool. I want to make something that feels like the Louis Vuitton of like electronic art. So you've hired people. How many people work for you? Uh, now I've got four or five, maybe. They're engineers and stuff that are like, you know, know things and can help build these physical things. Because, again, there's so much room to like, you know, make screens that are not just squares. Like I want to make pieces that feel very digital, but they're physical pieces that are like, whoa, that's I've never seen something like that before. And it's one of these things where it's sort of like I can make something that is upgradable because the physical piece will die. It's a screen. It's going to die. It's going to go out. But if you hold the NFT, then I can give you a new one. And so you can almost upgrade your art. It can be something where it's like, okay, right now in 2021, 
you have the 2021 physical version of this NFT. But down the line, uh, you can upgrade it in three years to the like 2025 version of this NFT that's an even cooler, sweeter screen. And again, this is relatively cheap compared to the artwork, the screens and, and stuff like that. And so- The art keeps changing. Yes, the art, the physical instantiation of the art, the artwork itself- What would the Mona Lisa look like if you could keep doing that? I don't know. And that's what's super <laughs> cool because, and that's where it's, it's to me, it's super interesting is you buy this digital artwork and just like this guy bought, it's like, oh, he bought nothing. It's just a JPEG. Well, it's like, okay, he bought a JPEG, but that JPEG, again, we're going to like project it on the side of a building at our Basel. It can be- you know, we can make an app so you can zoom in and it's super close. It can take a bunch of different form factors instead of one. A painting is a painting. It will always stay just that one thing. It will slowly decay. And that's all it ever is. And so there's a bunch of different advantages to digital artwork over traditional artwork that I think you're going to see sort of play out here that that to me makes it super exciting and and why I really think this is the next chapter of art. So this is it's just limited to creativity. Yeah, we're just scratched the surface of this. So I, when I hear the traditional art world kind of like shitting on this or being scared of it, it's like, guys, you can use it too. This isn't just my thing. Right. Everybody can use this. Like, chill out. So you are a tech company. You look like Bill Gates. You do know that. Right? <laughs> I've got that quite a shockingly large amount. Yes. yes. Thank you for being the 80th person who's said I, this is, I know, and that's been very that. interesting. I knew that. I the articles have been like, I'm Steve Kornacki, I'm Bill Gates, <laughs> I'm Mr. Rogers, and, you know, and then also I'm, you know, and then the New York Times, I'm this pervert, you know, guy, amoral artist who just cares about crypto, blah, 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 and burning down rainforests. They're freaking out of the lactating. Too much lactating. There's Donald everything. Trump, There's Elon. me. Bill Gates, <laughs> And Steve Kornacki lactating, freaking <laughs> killing seals with his freaking NFTs. That's me in a nutshell. There it is. <laughs> Print it. <laughs> All right, Mike, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, bye. Take it easy. See ya. Bye. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naeem Araza, Blake Nishik, Hiba Elarbani, Matt Kwong, Daphne Chen, and Vishaka Darba. Edited by Naeem Araza and Paula Schumann. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Eric Gomez, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair and Michelle Harris. Special thanks to Shannon Busta and Liriel Higa. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcast. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. No blockchain verification needed. We release every Monday and Thursday. <laughs>